Morning, everybody. Welcome to Good News Gathering. My name is Jeff, and if this is your first time at G&G, I want you to know just how excited that we are to have you here with us this morning. And um, some, some have been uh, wondering out in the atrium, why is Jeff uh, dressed in uh, black this morning? Um, all of Buckeye Nation is mourning last night's loss to Clemson. Um, and I just want you to know that I have it on good authority that President Trump has ordered the flags be lowered to half-mast today, <clears throat> as it should be. Um, just want you to know. But, but seriously, folks, uh, let me be the first to say that I hope all of you had a very Merry Christmas. Um, some of you have asked um, how much money was given on Christmas Eve. And if you're new to good news, um, you need to know that all the money that we, we have given on Christmas Eve goes out to help people in need in our community and with our mission partner in Haiti. None of that money that we, that we uh, receive on Christmas Eve is actually used for any kind of operating expense or anything, anything here inside uh, the church family. And um, the answer to that question is uh, we received just under $5,000. Um, and so that's pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And then some of us, some have been asking also, um, look, I was out of town visiting relatives or I was away for the holidays. Can I still give to the Christmas Eve offering? And the answer is yes. And, and if you want to know how to do that, if, you're, if you, you want to give cash, just put it in one of our offering envelopes and then please put Christmas Eve on the outside in big letters so it's easy for our financial people to see. Or if you're giving by check, write Christmas Eve on your memo line on your check, and they'll, they'll get that taken care of. <laughs> I also hope and pray that all of you will have a happy new year. And um, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to believe that 2019 is kind of rapidly drawing to a close. Um, it just seems like yesterday we were introducing the 2019 theme word, uh, which was the word follow. And, you know, each year since I think about 2007, we've picked a theme word for our entire year. And it's a word that kind of drives our teaching on Sunday morning. It's a word that we feel like captures a sense of where our church family is at this point in its history or, or something specific that we really need to think and, and, and to, to work on during that particular year. And, and really, when you think about it, this, this past year... We ask the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does that actually mean? And, and what difference does that make in our lives? And, and what characteristics manifest themselves in the life of someone who's genuinely following Jesus? What should be obvious to even the most casual observer of our lives that we are followers of Jesus Christ? And on the very first Sunday of the year, we developed a working definition of the word follow that we kind of, we kind of dealt with all throughout the year. It kind of guided our thinking as we went through last year. And it went like this. And for those of you, if, you've, if this is your first time, you received a, a, an outline as you entered the auditorium with your, with your bulletin and all that other stuff. And that outline is a white sheet with holes punched on the side, and it'll help you follow along with today's lesson, but, but there's a box in the top of that outline with the word follow in it, and it's got the definition there that, <laughs> that we've worked through all year long, and it goes like this. To follow means 
to take after or to conform to. Now, and when you think of that word to conform to, that means to pattern myself after someone else, to pattern myself, to take after, to conform to, to imitate or to mimic as closely as I possibly can this other person. Or to follow, it goes on to say, implies the acceptance of another as my authority. My authority. In other words, this other person has authority over me. They set the rules for me. They decide what I will or won't do. They call the shots. It's a great way of thinking of it. To follow implies the acceptance of another as my authority That is willing submission. Now, the word willing is very important because it means not grudging, not conforming under force or duress, or because I have no other choice, but I willingly submit, difficult word in American culture, I willingly submit myself to the authority or the leadership of another. And friends... What you see in that box is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's to take after him, to conform my thoughts and my attitudes, my words and my actions to his, to imitate or mimic him as closely as I possibly can. In other words, I don't get to do as I please. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I do my very best with God's help and grace To do as he pleases. That's not easy. It's not always comfortable. But if I'm a follower, he is my authority. He sets my direction. He calls my shots. And I willingly choose this. And I don't know about you, but in my life some days, that is harder than others. To submit my life to him. It's a chore. Sometimes I don't like it. Sometimes I wish I could do it my way. And sometimes I do, and that never works well. And over this past year, we've explored how to conform our lives to him from a variety of angles. And now as we stand at the threshold of 2020, we want to focus our attention today, our last Sunday of this year, on a lesson entitled Following into the Future. Now think about that for just a minute. How do we set ourselves up to continue following Jesus into the future? How do we do that? It's an important question for us to grapple with because the reality is the future is both uncertain and unpredictable, isn't it? I mean, we all know this to be true. We just don't like to think about it. In fact, we tend not to think about it until it forces itself upon us. Because the truth is none of us knows what tomorrow will bring. There are no guarantees. Some of you in this past year had your, cha- had your life change like that. One moment your life was like this and there was that moment and now it will never be the same. You may find a new normal 
But you're, not, you're never going to have what you had. Because it all changed. And we all know, even though we don't like to think about it, we all know that it can happen to us because we've seen it happen to others around us or it's happened to us before. Alexander Zolzhenitsyn, the the Russian dissident who, who actually served in the Russian military during World War II, but who was wrongly denounced after the war and then ended up spending years in Soviet forced labor camps. This guy wrote, wrote award-winning books about life and what it was like in a communist country and how quickly and without reason or without any fault of your own, it can all change. And your life can end up being very different than what it was before. And at one point, he wryly observed, have you figured out that when you spell life, there's a big if right in the middle of it? I think we all know it. Don't like to think about it. But really, we figured that one out, haven't we? If this happens, if that happens. And when we think about life, the truth is the variables are unlimited, ranging everywhere from success to failure, from joy to sorrow, from fairness to injustice, from health to illness. From life to death. And we never know. There's no guarantees. But is there a way to predetermine in advance, at least to some degree, how I will react to the uncertainties and the unpredictability nature of the future? Is there some way to try to predetermine how I'm going to respond to what life brings my way? Is it possible to in some way steal myself so that I will continue to follow Christ no matter what, through thick and thin, regardless of the circumstances around me? You know, just just recently I watched this movie, and I don't know how many of you have seen it, called The Apostle Paul. And in that movie, there's a very fascinating scene because Paul's associate, Luke, ends up in prison. Now, this is, this is all, you know, this is not in the Bible. It's, it's made up, but, but I just thought, whoa. Because he's in prison and there are a group of Christians that includes children that are about to be taken out into the arena, the Colosseum, to face animals. They know they are on their way to death, and one of the children asks him, will it hurt? And Luke looks at this child and says, just for a moment. Think about that. There's no backing down. There's no, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're just, hey, we... We're going to say we don't believe anymore. Maybe they'll let us go. We're not, we're not you know, this is not worth it. This is a child. Uh-uh. Yeah, it'll hurt. But just for a moment. 
And I don't know about you, but I wonder if in that moment I have steeled myself in such a way that I could follow Christ regardless of the circumstances. Well, friends, today's focus verse for this lesson is found in the book of Hebrews. And it gives us a clue, I believe, as to how we can prepare ourselves to follow Christ no matter what, through thick and thin. It's up on the screens, and it's also at the top of your outline. Let's all recite it together. Here we go, guys. Because Christ himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Now think about what he's saying here. He says, because Christ himself suffered when he was tempted. Now I think sometimes it's hard for us to believe that Christ really suffered through temptation. But when you think about it, he was tempted to go against God's will when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He was tempted to go against God's plan for saving the world in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died. In fact, he prayed, Father, if this cup could pass from me, please let it be so. These were difficult, trying temptations, and he suffered through them. Yet he stayed the course. He submitted to the Father's will for his life. He followed God's will. And because of this, it says, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In other words, he is able to help you and me when we're tempted to go against God's will for our lives, to reject God's call on our life. But in order to follow Christ, despite the uncertainty and the unpredictability of life, to follow him through thick and thin, it says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Circle that word, fix. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. That word fix means to stay focused. It means to rivet your attention. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the Son of God, who was sent into our world to die as a sacrifice for our sins, who lived a perfect life, whose teaching revealed the heart of God, whose healing displayed the power and the compassion of God, whose death manifested the love of God for sinners like you and like me, and whose resurrection demonstrated God's desire to live with us for eternity. You think about it, is it any wonder the Bible tells us to fix our thoughts on Jesus? Rivet your attention on him if you want to follow into the future. Now today we're going to examine what I'm calling five R's for following into the future. Five things that I believe can help us, Christ followers, to follow him regardless of what might, life might bring our way in 2020. So let's go to God in prayer, and then we're going to get down to work. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time when we as a church family can read your word. Father, what a blessing it is to have a word from you, a word that is firm and secure, a word that is sure, always and forever, because it is your word, and as your son said, your word is truth. Help us, Father, to clear our minds of any distractions this morning and help us to think well, for this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now, friends, today we're going to be focusing our attention on a passage of Scripture that is found in the New Testament book of Hebrews. And if you're not that familiar with the Bible, it, it really breaks down into two major sections. The Old Testament which is the first part of the Bible that covers the time before Jesus walked the earth, and the New Testament, which covers Jesus' ministry and then the early growth and expansion and spread of the church. Now, I'm going to put a timeline up here on the, on the, on the screens to kind of give you at least a rough estimate of when some of these events that are big in the New Testament occurred, including the, the writing of Hebrews. Um, but, but as far as we can tell, Jesus death, burial, and resurrection probably happened somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 A.D. In, in <clears throat> about 50, 50 days later, after his resurrection, the church exploded. 3,000 people accepted Christ and were baptized on a day the Bible calls the day of Pentecost. And then somewhere probably in the range of about five years later, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death. And not long after that, the Apostle Paul, who would go on to become the greatest Christian missionary, became a Christian. Now, the Roman Emperor Nero reigned from 45 to 68 AD. And it was during his reign that Rome really began to persecute Christians and Christianity. And both Peter, the Apostle Peter, and the Apostle Paul were executed during Nero's reign. So probably somewhere in the mid-60s. Many scholars believe that the book of Hebrews was written in the mid to late 60s. Primarily because it refers to the Old Testament. There's a lot of Old Testament allusions in the book of Hebrews, especially to animal sacrifices, as if they were still being offered at the temple. That's why many scholars believe this book was written before 70 A.D. Because these sacrifices were made only at the temple in Jerusalem. And both the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. And so animal sacrifices ceased when the temple was destroyed and they've never been reinstituted. Okay? Now, it's called Hebrews in part because it appears to have been written to Christians who had a Jewish background, people who would be familiar with the Hebrew language. And the focus of the book is on demonstrating the superiority of Christ and his way of life built on faith in him as opposed to the way of life expressed in the Old Testament. The importance of faith is emphasized in chapter 11 of Hebrews, which has been called Faith's Hall of Fame. 
And it lists by name 17 different Old Testament characters and repeatedly states, by faith, this person did this. By faith, this person did that. By faith, this person did this. By faith, that phrase occurs 22 times in chapter 11. And we pick up today's reading at the tail end of chapter 11, and it goes like this. It's there on your outline. These were all commended for their faith, it says. And what he's referring to is these are the Old Testament figures that he talked about throughout chapter 11, like Noah and Abraham and Moses. Noah did this by faith. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Moses did this. They were commended for their faith. And then it goes on to say, yet none of them received what had been promised. Interesting phrase. What he's talking about here is they did not receive God's full reward because they died before the Messiah or Christ came to the earth. They were looking forward to that day when the promised Messiah would come, but they didn't live to see it. They were all commended for their faith. In other words, they acted on what God gave them and the call that God placed on their life, but they never got to see the Messiah that was was prophesied to come. But then it says this. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, in God's divine plan, those who lived before Christ and those who lived after his coming would be made perfect together. Now, that phrase made perfect doesn't mean they became perfect human beings or they, they, they became sinless or anything like that. It mean, made perfect simply means that their faith, though it was not perfect in the sense of being, it wasn't, it wasn't complete until Christ came. And both groups of people, whether they lived before Christ came or after, are characterized by genuine faith and are saved by what Christ did on the cross. Now, think about that. He's writing to people who probably were, had Jewish background. And you can imagine that these people probably wondered, well, what about my great-grandfather? Or what about my great-grandmother? I mean, they were, they were Jewish people. They, they, they believed what they believed, and they, they thought they had it all, except this Messiah that was supposed to come, and they died before he came. And then Jesus shows up and says, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. What happens to my great-grandparents? Are they out? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no. No. They're commended for the faith that they had. But I love this phrase. Since God had planned something better. And friends, as we move into 2020, as we consider this fact that the future is uncertain and unpredictable, the first R that I think we have to deal with is this. Remember who's really in control. Remember who's really in control. 
When you face things in life that you don't understand or you have questions for which you cannot find an answer, remember who's in control. It's God. God is in control. For those people who died before Jesus came, God had planned something better. For those people who lived after Jesus came, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, God had it figured out. And you know, friends... It doesn't seem to matter, I don't think, what you will face in life. You need to remember who's really in control. And when things go haywire and you want to ask why, and that's a legitimate question, just remember that even when you don't understand, God is still in control. The prophet Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 55, and he's speaking here under inspiration, so he is speaking the words of God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So that first That first R, friends, is remember who's really in control. The writer goes on to say this. Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, because of all these people that we've discussed in in chapter 11 who were Old Testament people of faith and they did this by faith and that by faith and yet, yet they didn't get to see the Messiah but God had that figured out. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and these old, I mean, think about it, think about it this way, friends. The picture that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us is think of an Olympic stadium and the stands are full and those stands are standing room only with people who have gone before us who have lived the life of faith. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and no, they're no longer on the track. They're not running in the race. They're in the stands cheering us on, but they're there. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. And friends, think of those runners that you see in the Olympics. And you see them when they're warming up and they got sweatpants on. They got, the, they got the sweatshirt, the pullover kind of thing on. And some of them even wear toboggans and crazy. I mean, it's, it's crazy. They got all this stuff on and they're warming up and they're stretching and they're, they're jogging a little bit just to get all loosened up. But then when that race comes, you see them start to strip off everything but the bare minimum they will run in. Why? They don't want anything holding them back. They don't want anything creating drag. 
They don't want anything that's not aerodynamic. Why? Because they want to run fast. They want to win. And he says, let us, like an athlete, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And friends, that second R is this. I think if you and I are going to follow into the future, we have to reflect honestly on the things that weigh us down. We have to reflect honestly on the things that weigh us down. I think it's fascinating that the writer says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin. In other words, he's separating these two things. He's separating the things that hinder and the things that sin that so easily entangles. Why is he separating those? Because you and I have a whole lot of things that hinder us that aren't necessarily bad things. They just aren't the best things. A whole lot of us fill our plate with a whole lot of stuff that is just okay. In fact, most people would look at it and say, well, that's a good thing to do. The problem is, is it doesn't help anybody get any closer to Jesus Christ. So in the grand scheme of things, it's useless. Reflect honestly on the things that weigh me down, those things that hinder, and the sin that so easily entangles. And friends, each of us has some sin that easily entangles us. Mine is different from yours. Yours is different from the person sitting next to you, but every one of us has a sin that easily entangles us, and it's important for us to reflect honestly on that. In fact, the writer of Psalm 139 said this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, you and I, if we are going to follow into the future, need to identify and address our areas of struggle. We need to identify them and address them. I remember a while back I was doing a baptism interview and I asked this person a question I ask at every baptism interview. I said, I said, you know, this is not a question that you have to answer to me. You need to answer this to God. But is there any ongoing pattern of sin in your life? Anything going on in your life that you know is outside of God's will? Because if, if you're not intent upon changing it, there's no use getting wet. And this person blurted out, I struggle with pornography. And then he said, does that mean I can't get baptized? And I said, no. As long as you're willing to start working on that issue. Because accepting Christ is about life change. And if you're not willing to begin to work on that behavior, there's no point. You're not really a follower. You're a pretender.
You know, friends, we all have those areas that we need to identify and address. We need to pray about those areas. We need to share those areas with a trusted Christian friend who will help us and check on us and hold us accountable. Every Christian needs a truth teller in their life. Now, friends, what's true of of us personally is equally true for us as a church family. We need to identify areas where we're struggling. And, you know, this past year, one of the areas where we kind of realized that we're struggling is is in the area of communication. And, And I'm sure you know that in any organization, whether it's a family, a school, a business, a, a country, or a church, communication is critical. It's crucial that people have ready access to the information that they need. But as any organization grows, communication becomes more difficult. And I have to tell you something, friends, as a, as a pastor, it pains me when people come up to me in the atrium and say, well, I didn't sign up for that because I didn't know it was happening. Or I wasn't even aware we had that event going on. So what we did a month ago, back in November, is we surveyed all of you guys um, to determine whether you feel like you're getting the information you need and the communication tools that work best for you. And I'm happy to announce that the survey results indicate that 85% of people that call Good News Gathering their church home are either very satisfied or satisfied with the communication you're receiving. And that's very positive, 85%, okay? Now, the communication tool that you rely on most often for information about this church is the Sunday Bulletin. That's where most of you guys are, are finding out this is what's happening when and the time and all that kind of stuff. And so, obviously, um, we're going to focus a lot of attention on, on that in 2020, but it's followed up by the GNG website and our Facebook page. Those are the three major ways people get information about our church. Now, our goal in 2020 is to continue communicating upcoming events in our bulletin while ensuring the information on our website and the GNG app is accurate and up to date. It's also our goal in 2020 to test drive an Instagram page. And so we'll keep you updated on that. The bottom line is this. We want you to have the information available to you so that you don't miss any of the opportunities for growth and service that are offered here. And so we're going to keep working to expand the information to provide the tools and in, in the tools that we use to deliver it. Now, if you have any questions about this or if you'd be interested in serving with our communication team, on your Connect card, which is the yellow card that's in your bulletin, on the back, okay, there's a box there that says Serving Opportunities Give. It's on the box on the far left side, okay? If you just check that box and then write the word communication on the comment line below, somebody from our communication team will get, get with you. Or if you, work in, if you work in a business and you're responsible for communication, we would love to have you involved in that. Okay? 
So we're working on that. Now the writer of Hebrews goes on to say this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And then he says this. And let us run with perseverance. Run with perseverance. This is now language. This is present tense. This is run now like an Olympic athlete, unhindered, unfettered, moving at the appropriate pace for that particular race. And friends, I think that third R is this. If we're going to follow into the future, we have to review our current reality. We've got to review our current reality. We not only have to reflect on what hinders us or what weighs us down, we also have to review our current reality. You actually see this happen in the book of Hebrews. Because the writer is writing and he says this to these folks. He says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light? In other words, the light of truth, that is Jesus Christ, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And what he's saying here is he said, you know, you guys have experience. You've been through difficult times. But then he says, don't throw away your confidence. It will be rewarded. Persevere. Do the will of God. You'll receive what he's promised. He's reviewing their life in Christ up to this point. And friends, I think you and I need to do that as well. And one of the ways that we try to help you with that here at Good News Gathering is with this thing we're calling the 4G Spiritual Health Checkup. Now, for those of you that are familiar with our G diagram, this is what we believe that fully functioning followers of Christ, what their lives exhibit. In other words, they get the good news of Jesus Christ. They are growing in their relationship with him. They're giving their lives in service to others, and they're going into the world to share the good news with other people. And we've designed this spiritual health checkup to help you think through those four G's. And it's a self-assessment. We've we've developed an assessment form. And if you would like to receive that, and a number, a large number of people have already gone through it here at Good News Gathering. But if you would like to receive that assessment form, like I said, it's a self-assessment. You walk through the questions, you answer as honestly as you wish, and you have the opportunity, if you wish, to then sit down with somebody who's also done that and somebody who can walk you through, walk walk through it with you and also maybe help you 
think about some ways that maybe there are some things that, that you can work on in your spiritual walk. Interestingly, the ones, the ones that I've done with folks, typically one of the things that comes up the most is people will ask me, well, there's this thing on fasting in here. What is that all about? And my job is to help that person understand what that is and guide them to resources that will help them in that area. But friends, if you want to participate in a checkup, all you have to do is go out to the atrium after the service and you can sign up to be involved in that. Some people are doing them today after second service. And if you want to stick around and, and be in on that, that would be fine. But just go out to that table in the atrium. If, you're not, if, if I understand this is kind of last minute, um, but um, you can also mark on your Connect card on the back in that centered box, Spiritual Health Checkup. You can check that box, and we will get a hold of you this week to, to, to um, sign you up. Or if you would just like one of the forms and you want to do it and you don't, you don't really want to share that information with anybody else, that's fine. You can just let them know out at the table in the atrium and they'll get you one of those forms. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. There's that word again. Fixing, riveting our attention on him, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And friends, the fourth R is this. If we are going to follow into the future, we have to resolve to follow Christ. We have to resolve. In other words, fix our eyes on Jesus. But then that, the writer goes on to give us a reality check. For he says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, it wasn't easy for him either. There was struggle involved. There was pain involved. In fact, he says in Hebrews 12, 3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And friends, you and I have to understand, if we are going to follow Christ into the future, we have to understand that we will face opposition. We will face opposition. We have to understand that when we choose to follow Christ, we have an adversary, the evil one, who will do everything in his power to keep us from following through. Well, friends, one of the ways that we try to help you resolve to follow Jesus Christ is through what we teach here at Good News Gathering on Sunday morning. 
Many of you know that we plan our lesson series a year in advance and that we survey all of you in September to figure out what it is you feel like you need help with in the coming year. And if you would, in your packet of information, you received a little brochure that looks like this. I'd like you to take that out if you would, please. Okay? That is your 2020 lesson series brochure, and I'm going to go through that in just a minute. But let me, um, let me make a couple of comments about the lesson series survey that we did back in September, okay? <clears throat> Many of the questions that we received back on those surveys, I kind, of, I kind of categorize in my own mind, I guess you could say, and I just want to review a couple things with you because I want to make sure that, again, you have the information that you need. Some of the questions that we receive back on those surveys are what I would call structural questions, okay? How is your church structured? And people ask questions like, um, why don't you have elders and deacons like that we see, you know, um, up front and stuff like that? Or, or somebody asks, you know, when do we get a vote on stuff at Good News Gathering? Um, and so those are, those are kind of structural questions, like how, how do you organize your church and how do you run your church? Um, some of the questions are what I would call practical questions. Um, like, for example, um, I'm not a Christian. Um, where should I start reading in the Bible? Um, or... Uh, another question we, we often get asked is, where are there so, why are there so many different versions of the Bible and which one is the best? Okay, so you, so you have very practical questions that people ask. Um, sometimes the questions are more what I would call process-oriented, okay? Um, why don't you have Sunday evening and Wednesday evening services? Um, why isn't a cross prominently displayed in the sanctuary? Um, why don't you take communion together every Sunday? Okay, these are, these are more process, how, how we do things here at Good News. And, and here's what I want you to understand. These are all excellent questions, okay? And there is a way to get the answers to your questions. It's called the class series. Class series. We run the class series three times a year, and these are precisely the kind of questions that get answered in the class series. And on the back of your lesson series brochure, you will see listed every time the class series will be presented throughout this year, okay? All three cycles. We run through all four of those classes three times each year, okay? So they're great questions. The, the class series also affords time for you to ask other questions if you have, you know, we have um, Q&A times during those classes. And so please, if you have those kinds of questions, please feel free to ask them in the class series. Sign up for that. Now, <clears throat> I also want to let you know this morning that our theme word for 2020 is the word Family family. And this coming year, we want to focus our attention on what it means to be a part of the family of God. What does that that mean 
to be a part of God's family? How do I become a part of God's family? And then what does it mean to be a part? What responsibilities are there for being a family member? What things are expected and and how am I supposed to act as a family member? And so as you see, as you look through that lesson series brochure, you see the the, um, uh, titles for each of the lesson, but we're going to actually begin with a two-lesson series beginning next week called I Belong. And the truth of the matter is that you and I were created. It's part of the creation process to be a member of God's family. And we are not only created to be a part of God's family, but the Bible also talks about another process called adoption. And we're going to look at what those two things mean. And then we're going to look at the members of the family. We'll do a five-lesson series entitled The Father. And we're going to look at God. What, what is God like? And we're going to talk about his holiness and his justice. And we're also going to explore this thing in the Bible that makes a whole lot of us uncomfortable. And that's wrath. What is God's wrath? What does that really mean? Then in mid-March, we'll look at the Holy Spirit. Starting on Easter, we'll look at a several, several weeks at the sun. And then in August and September, we will look at the church family and what that means. What does it mean to be a part of a church family and why does that seem to matter so much in the Bible? Then in October, we'll talk about raising my family. How do we raise up families that follow Christ? And then our Christmas series called The Christmas Family will be based out of a book by a guy named Tim Keller called The Hidden Christmas. Some tremendous insights on the family of Jesus. Now, different times during the year, we'll look at how we support our family. In February and May, we'll talk about how we serve our family. Our typical Memorial Day service focuses on, on the twin themes that are so crucial to our service, men and women, and also to Christianity, and that's service and sacrifice. And also, in July, we'll do our annual God on Film series. Um, now, <clears throat> the, the June series is going to be a little bit different because we're really going to dive into the first few chapters of the book of Proverbs and that, that series entitled Family Wisdom. And so we'll be exploring the early chapters of Proverbs together. But that's where we're going in the lessons over the next year. Now the last R goes like this. The writer says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And we've read this passage about six times already today, but to now, now I want you to focus on some words that are in here that we haven't focused on yet. It says, therefore, since we, circle that word, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, circle that word, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us, circle that word, run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our, circle that word, eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You see, the writer assumes that there will be readers and that they are in this together. See, Christianity is not a solo sport. Christianity is a team sport. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And friends, that last R goes like this. Godly relationships help me follow into the future. Godly relationships See, that's why the church family is so important because when we are in relationship with other people who share our faith, there is strength in numbers. And friends, here at Good News Gathering, one of the things that we try to promote as often as we possibly can are our life groups. I had a lady contact me this week saying, I just need to get in in a a small group with other women and, and study the Bible and... So, all right, Monday night, 7 o'clock, we got a ladies group that meets right here at Good News, right here at the ministry center. And friends, if you're interested in an opportunity like that, on that connect card in that right-hand box, it says life groups. If you check that box, somebody will get a hold of you this week. It's a tremendous, tremendous growth opportunity. But you know, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say this in Hebrews 10. He said, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. In other words, what he's saying is let's follow into the future. Hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And then he says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, how are we going to spur one another on toward love and good deeds if we are not in community with each other? If we're not in relationship, if I never see you, you don't spur me on toward love and good deeds. And then he says this, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, friends, if this is not already the case in your life and you're a follower of, good news, of Jesus Christ who considers Good News Gathering their church home, one of your 2020 resolutions should be unless I am sick or I have to work or I'm on vacation, I will be here. I will be here when this church family meets to worship together. I'll be here. I won't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing because I know that when I'm here it encourages others. And one last thing, friends. If you'll take out that little sheet, that half sheet that was in your packet of information, 
There's a baptism celebration recap on there. It lists the names and the addresses of the seven people that we baptized here two weeks ago. These are new members of the G&G family, and I would encourage you to take some time this week to send them a card or a note and to let them know how important it is the decision that they made to identify their lives and to follow the example and the command of Jesus in baptism. Friends, as we go into the future, let's remember these five R's. Remember who's really in control. Reflect honestly on the things that weigh me down. Review my current reality. Resolve to follow Christ. And never forget that godly relationships help me follow into the future. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. And for this opportunity to think about the new year that is fast approaching. And how we want to live it out. What we want our lives to project to the world in which we live. Father, help us. Help us to fix our eyes on your son so that everyone around us can see him in and through us. For this is our prayer in Christ's name and we all agreed together and said, amen.